0: For the last couple of months, I've been studying the different names of God, and as I've been studying the different names of God, there's one name that uh, God really used in my life at an especially rough time, and that's the name I want to talk about tonight or preach about tonight. I want to look at Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shalom, or in other words, God, our peace. God our peace. And it's actually only found once in the, that specific title is only found once in the Bible and it's in this passage I had you turn to, Judges chapter six. And I wanna read the first 24 verses of this chapter. So Judges chapter number six, verses one through 24. So Judges six, verse one says, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and they camped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of or I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertaineth unto Joash the Abiezerite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, the Lord be with us. Why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites." The Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. The Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And and he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, Then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not. Hence I pray thee until I come unto thee and bring my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he, was, that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen this angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it it Jehovah Shalom. I want to preach tonight, as I said, about God, our peace. To be at peace is to be at rest, free from strife, worry or discontent. And every human, in every nation, in every age, whether rich or poor, old or young, seeks to find and experience peace. Many people, even Bible-believing Christians, will try to find peace in money, accumulating money, education, bigger and nicer homes, bigger and nicer vehicles. Many people turn to drugs, alcohol, and the list goes on. But peace cannot be bought, nor can it be acquired by one's skill or dedication to achieving it. It is only found when people meet the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom, through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. And let me remind you, peace does not always mean the absence of noise, fear, trouble, and storms. Rather, the peace of God is an inner peace that God is in control no matter what comes our way. I found a verse in Psalm 107, verse 23 through 30, and I, I just picture this not only in, a, in a, a, the way of the this, this ship and, and being tossed in the sea. I'll read it for you. But I even picture us when we go through storms, and maybe this is you tonight. You're going through a storm, and this is how you feel. Let me read it. Psalm 107, verse 23 through 30 says, They that go down to the sea in ships they do, they, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro, and stagger like a drunken man, and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they are be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Even in the storms of life. We can be at peace when we cry out to God and trust in his power to calm those storms. He is Jehovah Shalom. Let's pray before we look at this sermon. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. I thank you for the fact that we can have peace, Lord. And I do pray For this one little baby tonight that you would just really put your guardian angels and your guardian hands around this little baby. Be with uh, Tia and TJ as well. Comfort them. And I pray that the peace of God would overwhelm them tonight and tomorrow and that they would know that you're in control. I pray that, Lord, your will would be done. And if it be your will, that you would allow this baby to come through this surgery and that things would uh, go well, Lord. And I just pray for your perfect will to be done there. Just even be with the Longs and uh, just comfort them as well and the other family members, Lord. And I do pray as I preach tonight, Lord, that you'd help me, fill me with your power. I pray that I would only say what you'd have me to say, nothing more and nothing less, Lord. And uh, no doubt there are people here that are maybe going through storms tonight, and they need your peace. And I pray that I could be a blessing to them and that I could present the word of God in a way that would be able to be used by you to get the honor and the glory and everything. Lord, I don't want to be praised for anything that's done here tonight. I want you to get the honor and glory for everything that is done and said and, and seen in, in the word of God tonight, because you are powerful. You are Jehovah Shalom, and I thank you for that. I pray that you just help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. As we read our text passage, Gideon met, as we saw here, the we, he met Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. And you know, Gideon's kind of an... Int- I think he's an interesting Bible char- character. On the one hand, he was a mighty man who led a handful of warriors against a far larger army and won a great victory. However, on the other hand, Gideon was filled with doubts and fears and questions. We see that in this passage. And, it, and I, I, it's interesting, as I said, God used this passage in many ways in my life. But we get a glimpse not only into Israel... And what's going on there. But we get a glimpse into Gideon's life. And if you know, uh, I'm, I'm speaking to the Sunday night crowd, so I don't doubt that you already know this. But the book of Judges stretches, or sketches, excuse me, one of the darkest spiritual times in Israel's history. If you remember, before his death, Joshua had led Israel out of the wilderness into the promised land. Under his leadership, Israel had conquered much of the land which God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. But after Joshua's death, we read in Joshua, or Judges, excuse me, verse, chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, how Israel had forsaken Jehovah God, who had delivered them from Egypt, and had turned the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth. And we see that these verses we're reading here describe the bleak condition of Israel 11 or 12 centuries before Christ. And Gideon was called to be a judge During a time of intense trouble in Israel, the nation was suffering under the grip of Midianite oppression. Their land was stripped, their homes and villages destroyed, their lives endangered. We read that bleak condition in the description of it in verse 6. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. They were, as the other verse in Psalm 107 says, "They were at their wits end. Have you ever been there at your wits end? You don't know what to do? Everything around you is just it seems as if it's just crumbling. God is nowhere to be found. At least that's not true, but we think that in our minds, in our fallen nature, He's still there. And the people of Israel felt that way as if though their nation was destroyed and their lives were over. But the encouraging message of this book and and this passage here is that God is at work to accomplish his sovereign purpose even in the darkest and even in the weakest and even with the weakest, most mixed up people in the world. That's me right here. Okay? You ask the kids, they'll especially tell you I'm mixed up. My kids and the the students, they'll both tell you. Um, But you know, God doesn't care. God just wants us to surrender. And And in this chapter, just as it's revealed to Gideon, we see Jehovah Shalom, God our peace. And you know, tonight, maybe you're living through what you think is the darkest of all darkest times in your life. And I want you to be encouraged with Gideon, who at first was filled with doubts and questions. But I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to come to the place where you trust In Jehovah Shalom, God our peace. With God's help tonight, I want to look at this. And I want to first of all look at God. The first point is God is at work even in the spiritually darkest times. God is at work even in the spiritually darkest times. When we look at the dismal circumstances around us and our families and our nation and everything else, it may seem that God's not there. He's left us. But He hasn't and He never will He's always working behind the scenes. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and then in verse 11 says, grace be, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. He's working. And how can we see that in this passage? First of all, if you look at, and I won't read through them again for sake of time, but if you, looked at, if you remember verse 2, 1 and 2, and then verse 6, verse 1 and 2 and verse 6, we see God at work behind the scenes in disciplining His wayward people, Israel. If you know about the book of Judges, it contains a very similar cycle. Israel falls into sin. Because of their sin, God brings an enemy that forces them into servitude. Eventually, when the suffering seems overwhelming, Israel cries out to God in supplication, and in response, God sends a judge who leads who, who's there to save them. And the fact that God was so willing to repeatedly deliver this adulterous idolatrous people shows his great patience and his great grace. But I also want to remind you tonight, this also shows us the harsh servitude that sin will bring you into. Sin never delivers its promises. Those promises look really good. And I especially want to say to you teenagers, and I'm sorry to pick on you, but I work with teenagers all the time. It's going to look good. It's going to promise a lot. But it never delivers. That's right. And you need to get that down and stop thinking your parents hate you because they're putting you in these situations where you can't do things. Or the school, me. Okay, got a problem with me? All right, um, that, was out, that was a flesh. I got to stop. Okay. Um, the truth is, you might get mad at me because I put you in some places where, no, you can't do that. You can't have that. You can't do this. And you say, why? Trust me. I pray and ask God to give me wisdom. And sometimes there's just rules there so I don't, I don't get any more gray hair than I already have. And I don't lose it all. Okay. And either way, just trust. But sin never delivers its promises. It promises hap- happiness and prosperity. But in the end, it brings enslavement. It brings suffering to your, to your families. It brings suffering to you as an individual. And when you're done with it, the devil doesn't care about you. He doesn't care. Oh, he acts like he cares. But in the end, all he cares about is destroying you in this church. And whatever he has to do, he's going to do it. But when believers ignore the Lord and follow their own ways, you forfeit your peace and your joy. Isaiah 48 verse 22 says, There's no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. There's no peace. And when you do your own thing, and you ignore God, and you ignore the authority that's put into your life to help you, God-given and God-ordained authority in your life, and you ignore it, let me just be truthful with you. Don't be surprised when you don't have peace and you don't have joy. But, but, praise the Lord, when we call on God in repentance, the Lord hears our cries, He strengthens us, He blesses us with such an overwhelming peace that it it passeth all understanding. Psalm 29, verse 11 says, The Lord will give strength unto His people. The Lord, that is Jehovah, all caps, will bless His people with peace. He wants to give it. And that's what we see here. We see Israel doing the same exact thing. And the children, verse 1, it did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And as a result, God chastened His people by sending them the Midianites. Now, the Midianites in Gideon's day would stay east of Jordan, the Jordan River until harvest time. Then with the Amalekites, another enemy of Israel, they would swarm into Israel like locusts, devour their crops, steal their farm animals, And the Israelites didn't have the military strength to fight off the hordes of people. So they just hid out in dens and caves in the mountains, as we see here. And they watched helplessly as their crops that they had worked to harvest were consumed by these foreign invaders and raiders. This had gone on for seven years. The people were brought so low that they finally turned back to God and cried out. So we see God behind the scenes and disciplining his wayward People, Israel. Secondly, we see God at work behind the scenes in raising up a prophet to confront Israel with their sin. Verse seven through ten. Before Gideon, he sent an unnamed prophet to them, who reminded them how God had delivered them from Egypt, gave them a land, made a covenant with them. But what did it say? Very clearly here. Verse ten. But ye have not obeyed my voice. But again, God brings another person. And maybe God is bringing tonight to you a person. And they keep trying to help you. And they're speaking truth with love, whether it be pastor, whether it be me, whether it be Pastor DeGarmo, whether it be your parents, whether it be someone else in the church. Someone might be coming to you and trying to help you in love, but you keep disobeying. And you just keep going along your way, expecting that everything's going to be okay. And you try to get, you, you muster up, you know, you can have false peace in your life, just so you know. The devil loves to do that too. He's going to give you things that feel like you're having peace. And you still have that emptiness and you lay on your pillow at night and you know you're not right with God and you know you're not doing what you're supposed to. But you say, I have peace. And you try to think of all the ways you have peace. And in your mind, you're sitting there and you're sleepless because you won't just give in to God. God wants to give you peace and you'll lay on your pillow and you won't even care. You'll fall right asleep. Probably praying, too. Man, just start praying if you want to go to sleep. I've done it a few times. Man, I'm praying, Lord, help this. Lord, forgive me for these things I've done. And all of a sudden, I wake back up like an hour later. And I'm like, I don't think I ever finished that prayer. And I try again. And by the time that happens, I'm in a deep sleep. And then it's morning time. So, but, um, <laughs> so we see God at work. Are you, are you resisting God? And you say, oh, I want, I'm not resisting God. I, I, I'm doing what's right. That's false peace again. You know, I don't know. No one came to me and gave me all the notes on everybody's lives and then told me to preach on it. No one did. I hardly even talked. You know, I was just told I was preaching. So if you're worried about me knowing what's going on, I don't know, okay? But God knows, the Holy Spirit knows, and you know. So just, just give in. You can have peace. We see God at work behind the scenes when he showed up Thirdly, in Gideon's village as the angel of the Lord. Now, some scholars don't believe the angel of the Lord was God himself. But I think the scripture shows pretty clearly that he was the Lord Jesus Christ in pre-incarnate form. It was a theophany. Okay, He had the appearance of a man, but after he had touched Gideon's meal offering with his staff, causing it to be consumed with fire from the rock, he then disappeared. And at that point, Gideon thought that he would die It says in verse 22, because he had seen God face to face. Now, storms of life are not always a result of sin. So please don't get me wrong. I want to say that all the way up to this point. I've been hitting being in right with the Lord. But storms of life are not always a result of sin. God just sometimes takes you through storms to draw him closer to you. God knows what you need. So don't think I'm saying here tonight, if you're going through a storm, you're just backslidden and you're in sin. I don't know, okay? Have enough right here, okay, to take care of. Um, But, in the comments from the peanut gallery. All right, so um, God takes us through storms. And during these times, we need to run to God and live in his presence. Live in his presence. The presence of Jehovah Shalom will bring peace even in the midst of the trials. And I ask you tonight, are you living in God's presence in both the good and the bad times? Ron Hamilton wrote a song, Lord, I Need You, and he talks about when, when it was all going fine, and I don't remember the lyrics, I didn't write them down, but when it's going fine, I need you. But when it's, when it's tossing and turning and life is a mess, I need you then too, no matter when. But you know, it's easy and that's why the Bible warns us, and I forget which passage, that when it's good, we'll forsake God. We've got to be careful. Live in God's presence. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. If you're backslidden and you're, or if you're not, either way, God is going to be nigh you when you call to Him. Either way. Joshua 1.8, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. No matter where you're at, God's with you. You can live in his presence. Psalm, or not Psalm, but Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be careful, or that word careful means anxious. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Have you experienced that peace? So no matter how dark the times are, and even if you can't see God at work, you can be sure that Jehovah Shalom, that God, the God of, the he- of heaven, the, the creator of you and all this earth, is still working Amen. to accomplish his will and his sovereign purpose for his glory. Now, how does he do it? Secondly, God uses weak people to accomplish his sovereign purpose. Praise the Lord. God didn't look for a man with renowned military skills. He didn't look for anyone who was already recognized as a leader in the community or nation. He picked a weak man who remained somewhat weak through the whole story and who finally came to the end of himself. And that's what 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to not things that are, and what does it say in verse 29? That no flesh should glory in his presence. God gets us weak, so we can't say it's all me. And I know myself, if I thought it was me, I'd, you better believe I would be up here going, yeah, look at me. And a lot of times I tell the students, you know, playing the piano, I'll be playing and I'll start thinking, man, that was a great chord progression. That was an awesome modulation. And the next note, I am not joking. Pianists and, and uh, accompanists and musicians could probably attest to this. The next note the worst thing possible. And you're like, where did that come from? I've been able to play a song all the time. It's the Lord, just keeps you humble. He'll knock you right off that pedestal if you let if you get up there. God keeps us weak. We see God's weakness, and I and I gotta go through these quickly. So, because I want to get to the end and just make this practical. But we see a lot of areas where in this passage where gideon was weak. And maybe. You're here tonight, and you can relate to Gideon in some of these ways, if not all of them. But rest assured that God uses weak people who rely on him. So first of all, we see Gideon was defeated, discouraged, and frightened in verses 11 and 12. Notice what it says. He, he was threshing. Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. He was threshing wheat in a wine press to hide it from them, and wheat was threshed usually in open spaces, typically on a hilltop, where the breeze could blow away the, the chaff. Wheat was not normally threshed, threshed in a sunken place like a wine press. But Gideon was down in that wine press, threshing, threshing the wheat to hide it from the Midianites. And I think there could be a possibility, the application here, that maybe he was discouraged. He was watching his land being taken by the people and he was trying to get as much as he could before they took it. He was frightened. He was discouraged. Maybe you're at a night and you're defeated. You're discouraged. You're fearful. Man, the devil, devil uses fear. And man, fear can cripple you to the point where you can't even get up and be the father and the husband and, the, and, and the whatever else that you need to be. God uses, the, or, well, the devil uses those things, but God, if you rely on him, will give you that strength. Yes. We'll see that. God, or Gideon was defeated and discouraged and frightened. And then secondly, Gideon was confused and questions God in verse 13. Let me read that. So verse 13, Judges 6, 13, and Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us. Why then has all this befallen us? And where be all the miracles which our father told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And notice what he says at the end of verse 13. But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. God hadn't forsaken them. Now God, this was part of his, his uh, chastisement, but God had not forsaken them. This was part of their, their sin. But even when you cannot see God and God working, God's working behind the scenes. He hasn't forsaken you. Now, some of what you're experiencing may be your sin and the, the, the uh, fruit from your sin. Right. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever man so that shall he also reap. Right. And then thirdly, we see God, Gideon was dis. Dispre- disp- I can't talk. Gideon was depressed. The end of verse 13. In his complaint that he had abandoned Israel, it seems as if Gideon had lost hope for any deliverance from, his, from this oppressive enemy. And then, if you noticed, in verse 14 through 16, Gideon was down on himself rather than being focused on the Lord. Let me read those verses. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy mind, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Doesn't that sound familiar to some verses in the New Testament? Matthew 28 And the many other verses, and then he said in verse 15, and he said unto him, "Oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house." And if you if you read in verse 25, which we won't, uh, his even his um, his dad was a a person who was worshiping Baal. He was a part of a, a a house that was his father was an idolater. And it came to pass, verse twenty-five, the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock for seven years, and throw it down and throw down the altar, a bale that thy father hath. But what was the angel saying to him? The angel was saying that his strength, that he had strength, he was get, he was going to have strength to deliver Israel from the hand of Midian, and that would be found in God's presence. Have not I sent thee? And secondly, in God's power. Surely, he said, verse uh, 16, surely I will be with thee. God gives his presence. God gives his power for us to be able to do great things. But have you ever been there where you just feel like, what am I going to do? I, it's this and this and, and, and I, I can't do right and I'm a failure. You, know, and you, you might just, your brain just, the devil starts throwing all these lies into your mind of why you can't do that certain thing. And instead of focusing on God, maybe you're focusing on you. And you just sit there and you entertain those lies. And instead of doing what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5, and casting down the imaginations and every thought and bringing every thought into the obedience of Christ, instead of doing that, you sit there and you toy around with it. And then you're all discouraged and the peace and the joy is gone. And what you've got to do is you've got to get back to God and you say, God, I'm sorry for giving into that. And you start casting down the imaginations, start memorizing scripture. I started trying to do that. And man, those thoughts aren't near as those lies aren't near as much there because I'm thinking about what God's word saying. And man, you find all kinds of stuff. I already got something ready for men's prayer breakfast because of meditating on scripture because God just keeps showing me this and this and this and this. And I'm not saying it so you all go, oh, look at him. I'm just saying, get in God's word, memorize it. Like Pastor DeGarmo said this morning, it's real simple. Just follow God's word. But man, do we complicate it? So we see, maybe you're, perhaps you're here. Maybe you can relate to one or more of these forms of weaknesses. Maybe you're defeated by some sin that robs you of the fullness of God's blessing in your life. Maybe you're spiritually confu- confused. The devil's trying to throw lies into your mind and, and maybe you're just like, God, I don't know what's going on. Why is this happening to me? You don't see how God can possibly be at work in your dark situation. Maybe you're depressed. Let me just add here, I don't think this church is this way, but some people think that Christians should never be depressed and go through depression. Depression um there's some scripture that i could show you and i don't have time right now this is not part of my notes i shouldn't have even went down this road but i'll go ahead and go down it since i already started it um because then i would leave you hanging um but there's a lot of scripture that i think there were many good men of god that struggled with maybe being depressed and we act like you should never be depressed Now, I don't think you should just sit there and wallow in depression and your sin and act like, oh, yeah, all these people in the Bible did it. So I think I'll just keep. But I'm just saying we need to understand you can get to that place where you're struggling and you're depressed and you need somebody to help you. And instead of looking down on people and saying you should never be depressed as a Christian, help them out, love them, pray for them, encourage them in the word of God and help them. So maybe you're depressed because of your circumstances. Maybe you've lost hope. You're focused on yourself rather than the Lord. You feel that you're too weak and insignificant for God to use. And maybe you're doubtful of God's promises to be with you and to give you victory over the enemy. But what's the solution? It's not found in one, two, three, you know, the world's success stories. It's not found in reading those books that, you know, if you do all these things, you'll never have a problem anymore. Um, it's not building up your self-esteem Following, you know, all the, the it, I, won't, I won't go down, I almost, I was going to say something, but I won't. Um, where, where's the solution? Trusting in God is the solution for weak people. And that's where God will bring it, bring you through. What does 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9 say? For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we were despaired even of life. But we, had the sent- but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. We can trust in God. When God looks at us, I remember this from uh, Brother Benson a couple weeks ago. When God looks at us, he doesn't see a person with faults and failures. He sees a redeemed child of God who is victorious through Jesus Christ. But we have to trust in the God which raiseth the dead. So we see, first of all, God has to work even in spiritual dark times. God uses weak people to accomplish His sovereign purpose. And thirdly, and lastly, the weak people God uses must learn to trust His mighty strength. The weak people God uses must learn to trust His mighty strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The world's not going to tell you that. They're going to tell you, don't, you know, weakness is a sign of, uh, of um, not being strong and being a leader. If you're weak, you're not a good leader. Baloney, okay? You need to be trusting in God. You can try it the other way, but it probably won't work very well. I've tried it the other way. I've tried trusting in my pride. That's why God had to take me away from here to somewhere else to break me down so then when I came back here, I didn't think it was all me. And God does that sometimes. He takes you away from where he knows you you need to be and and gets you to the point where you need to be and then brings you back many times to where he wanted you in the first place. And don't think that weakness is a sign of, of not being a leader. Paul was a great man of God, but he said, that God would make his weakness strong through God's mighty power. Amen. So, what do we do? There's five things we, we need to do to trust God. First of all, trust God, trusting God, requires repenting of compromise with the world. Trusting God requires repenting of compromise with the world. If you notice, I didn't read it all the way through, but if you started in verse 25 of chapter 6 here, And you keep reading down what happens. Gideon starts to, God tells him to go get those idols that his father's had and to cast them down. And he starts cleaning out. He he starts taking care of the the problems and the sin. And then the prophet comes to, before this in verse 10, the prophet comes to to Israel and, and confronts them about their sin. So we have to begin realizing that many times we're using God's God and his strength for our personal success or gain. And then when, we're, then when we're done with God or when he doesn't come through or when he does come through, we think we put him back on the shelf and then we go on our own way and we just leave God up there. Well, God did what I needed to, so he's up there now. And when I need him again, he'll be my security blanket and I'll want grab him again when I need him and I'll use him again. And then if he doesn't give me what I want, then then you, know, then you start down that road of, struggling with your attitude towards things. That's not, that's not what God wants. God wants us to live in his presence every day. Amen. And he, he's not a shelf God. He's not a security blanket. Right. Amen. Amen. He's a God who wants to be with you all. And we are to pray without ceasing and keep praying. But we have to repent of trying to use God for our own agenda and submitting to God as our Lord, even if it means suffering and possibly even martyrdom. And there may be a day that the Lord tarries that we may have to go down that road of suffering as Christians. Are we ready for it? Are we ready to submit to God and say, whatever you got to do? It says in 1 Peter 5.10, but the God of grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Got to go through things sometimes. And then trusting God. Secondly, what do we do to be able to trust God like we should? We need to, first of all, just repent of our compromise. Repent of using God as our, in our own way and for our own agenda and submit to God in whatever he does in our lives. And then secondly, trusting God requires knowing his power on, on behalf of his people in the past and his promise of power for what He calls us to do. We need to trust God and remember that God has not only came through for those in the past, but God has come through, that God will come through for us. Amen. You know, Gideon, the prophet rehearsed the familiar story of how God had delivered Israel. Gideon knew that story, but what happened? He said, We're, if that's the case, why has this all befallen us? But God says, and the Lord looked on him in verse 14 of chapter 6 and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And then he says in verse 16, Surely I will be with thee. We need to remember that. And I I want to read so many verses, but if you have a chance, look up um, Psalm 57. Just jot it down, look it up, read it. That is a great passage was when David was running away from Saul and he's crying out to God and the, just the description that he puts in there of the things he's struggling with and then he cries out to God and, and it's just wonderful. There's so much there. But let me read a couple of verses of how God reminds us there's nothing too difficult for him. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Second Peter 1, 3 and 4. And according to... According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. We can be Victorious, we can, God, there's nothing too hard for God. We have to remember that God has not given up. God, we, we, uh, God has came through for the, the other people, the other godly people that have gone before us and he will come through for us. Yeah, amen. Amen. The righteous will not be forsaken yeah. and they will not be begging bread. Right. God will take care of us. Amen. And there's so much and I'm just, I'm zipping through this thing. There's so many verses I could just read and read and read. Um, but I, I, for the sake of time, I won't. Thirdly, trusting God requires knowing God's purpose for, the fu- for your future. Trusting God requires knowing God's purpose for the future. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. I'm not saying you need to know every single detail, and you won't, by the way. God will not reveal every single detail of your life to you. Trust me, he, he hasn't yet. Okay? I know I'm supposed to be right here. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm right here. This is where God wants me to be. As far as the rest of it is concerned, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing right here. God I won't reveal it. But what am I saying? What, am I, what do I mean here? What I mean is that God. you need to remember how God wants to use you in the future for his purpose. Think about this. Gideon, when, when, when the angel first told Gideon, Gideon in verse 12, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Scripture doesn't say it, but I wonder if Gideon kind of looked around like, who are you talking to? You know, I don't think that's me. I'm not mighty man of valor. I'm in the Wine press down here hiding from the Midianites. That's not very valorly, okay? I think I used that adverb correctly. Um, my wife might correct me after uh, church here, but um, Gideon probably was sitting there going, I don't think you're talking to me. I think that's somebody else. At that point, Gideon wasn't a valiant warrior. He was a defeated coward. He, or he was defeated. He was discouraged. What I mean by coward is not like he was doing wrong. It's just he was defeated. He was discouraged. Threshing out wheat in the wine press. But what did God see? God saw down the road of what he would be if he just trusted in him. And that's what we have to remember. And then fourthly, trusting God requires knowing his presence in your daily life. I already said this, but the Lord's nigh to you. Are you in God's presence tonight? And then... Fifthly, and lastly, trusting God requires knowing that we are at peace with Him through the sacrifice of His Son for us. As, we, as a choir sang, and I thought it was so neat because part of, the, part of this was this idea of we, can have, we need to, first of all, take care of our salvation. And it's only through the blood that we're going to have peace. So if you're here tonight and you know you're not saved and you're, you're just putting on the show, you're scared that somebody might think of you as less of a person because you've been raised in a good home and you're saved or you say you're saved and you're really not and you know it, be honest, that you're not saved and you're just putting it off. None of this will work because it's only through the blood of Christ that we can really have peace. And that's the thing that we have to remember. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse 1. Having peace with God and knowing the peace of God are two separate things. Peace with God is you're reconciled. Because of the blood of Christ, you're saved. That's peace with God. While the peace of God refers to the outcome of your faith and your dependence on God. And peace, you know, we you could it should be the state of it should be the normal state of our minds as Christians to be as Christians to be at peace with God. Peace, have the peace of God in our lives. That should be the normal state. We're at peace with God. We're saved, but we also should be at peace, have the peace of God in our lives. But many times we let other things get in there. We, we worry, we fret. But what does is Isaiah 26, 3 said? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And that's why scripture works so well. Because yeah. as soon as those dumb lies of the devil and those thoughts come into my mind, I start quoting scripture. And you know what happens? The devil doesn't stay around when that happens. Because even Christ in Matthew 4 quoted scripture every time the devil came to him. But it takes work. It takes me thinking about it and on purpose memorizing the scripture. Because, you know, I get busy with the day of the student's flags up. And I'm running around and going back and forth. And I, I forget sometimes to be quoting scripture. But you—it's—it's it's, that's why it's so hard. That's why I think a lot of times we don't always, we aren't always as faithful as we should be. It takes a lot of work to do it, but it's the best thing for you. It's the best thing for me. So our world, our nation, our community—they're in spiritual darkness. That if you look out there, there's people that are just messed up. They have no peace. They're filling their lives with drugs and all kinds of junk, and they're trying to get that peace. And maybe. You're not part of that, obviously, but perhaps you're here tonight and you're going through a spiritually dark time, personally. You know that God's at work. It's easy to say God's at work, but you can't see it and how he's working. He wants you to trust him. And after all, he's the creator. He's the one that created you. He's the one that created this universe. And I think he knows what we need. Hudson Taylor, the pioneer missionary to China, said, God uses, quote, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on Him. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know Jehovah Shalom, God our peace? In other words, are you truly, without a doubt, saved tonight? And if you're not, I'd ask that you, when the, the invitation starts, I ask that you'd come down take care of that. You first need to know Jehovah Shalom personally uh, as far as salvation. Then secondly, a question for you is, as a Christian, are you living in the peace of God by trusting and relying on Him for the fulfillment of that peace in your life? Or have you tried to substitute other things to fill that void? And you're trying to do it your own way. And you know for sure that you're not doing what God wants you to do. If, not, if you're not relying on Him, come to the altar and do business. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your goodness to us. Lord, I thank You for The fact that we can know the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom. And I pray that as we think about this, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you would convict all of our hearts, whatever the need is. Lord, in this room and with this many people, there's no doubt there are many different ways that this sermon could be applied. And Lord, I know that this was what you'd have me to preach. Lord, and, and you know my heart, and I pray that you would just use it in a special way. And I pray if there's anyone that's unsaved tonight here, that Holy Spirit, you'd just convict them to the point where they don't care about anybody or anything, but getting right with you and getting saved. And I pray then for the Christian that may be going through something. Maybe they're struggling because of sin, or maybe that you're just taking them through a, a storm of life to draw them closer to you. I pray that they know the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Bless the invitation as only you can. Work in hearts as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray.